0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Ben Hall. As world powers prepare to negotiate a new global accord on greenhouse gas emissions in Paris next month, one of the big questions is what happens in the U.S., the world's second biggest emitter. In a year's time, Americans will vote for a new president. With a widening gap between the rival parties on climate change and environmental policy, the election could have big implications for the U.S. energy industry. Its outcome could also affect the way other countries respond to the problem of climate change. President Barack Obama's moves to impose tighter environmental controls on coal-fired power stations have raised hopes that other countries may follow suit. And China has begun to cooperate with the U.S. on climate change, a massive shift on both sides from the approach that led to the failure of the Copenhagen Climate Conference in 2009. But a change of administration in Washington could put all of this at risk. To discuss these questions, I'm joined by Polita Clark, our environment correspondent, and down the line by our Washington Bureau Chief, Dmitry Zivastopolou. Let me start with you, Polita. How important are the Americans to these talks?
2: They're absolutely crucial and in fact the plans that the administration has set out under its Clean Air Act has been incredibly important in terms of getting the Chinese on board and without China it would have been very difficult to have made the progress that's already been made in terms of reaching an agreement in Paris next month. So globally speaking they have been tremendously important.
1: But they're not the make or break factor if you like in Paris itself are they?
2: Well, actually, you know, if the US, if the Obama administration had taken a back seat for these talks, it's very difficult to see that they would have made any sort of progress, really. And, you know, if we hadn't seen the sort of effort that the White House and particularly the State Department under John Kerry, who, of course, has for many years been a very strong proponent of more action on climate change, if this hadn't happened, I really don't think that we would have gotten to the point now where conceivably we will see the first new global climate change agreement forged in four weeks' time in first new one in 18 years. So I do think that um, they have been tremendously important. And, you know, the domestic action that is underpinning their pledges is absolutely vital. So if it does get rolled back in future, that is going to be a big problem.
1: Dimitri, other world leaders are obviously listening and watching the debate in Washington. What sort of signals do you think they'll be taking?
0: Well, everyone's going to be looking at the presidential campaign, then to see what the different candidates are saying and who's most likely to be president. But if you step back for a second, I mean, for people who say that climate change is a real problem and needs to be tackled, the good news is that 99% of counties across the U.S. agree the temperatures are rising. But then things start to get a little bit more difficult. 80% of counties disagree that it's mostly man-made. And when you come and ask Americans, you know, how big a concern is climate change, 42% of Americans say it's a top concern. But that's actually lower than their concerns about the global economy, ISIS, Iran's nuclear program, cyber attacks, and uh, tension with Russia. So it's an issue for people, but it's not one of the top issues at the ballot box. And then there's a big split between Democrats and Republicans. So about 62% of Democrats say that climate change is a big issue whereas only 20% of Republicans agree. And that's partly because the Democrats, broadly speaking, tend to be concentrated in urban areas where they consume a lot of energy, whereas the Republicans congregate more in states where they produce energy, and therefore the energy producers are the ones who will suffer if some of these policies go through, and they tend to be more resistant. There's a big gap, and there's a big gap between the candidates on the campaign trail too. How is it playing out on the campaign trail It's not a top issue, but when it comes up on the Democrat side, basically you have Hillary Clinton who, when she was coming under quite a strong attack from Bernie Sanders over the last couple of months, she tacked left on several climate issues to make sure that she couldn't be attacked from people who were supporting him. She's Very strong on climate change. Something needs to be done. Bernie Sanders would take the same view. On the Republican side, it's more mixed. The spectrum runs from Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina senator, who says climate change is real, we need to accept that, we need to do something about it, and then across the spectrum all the way to Donald Trump, who, uh, if I just read you one of the tweets that he said recently, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make US manufacturing non-competitive. So you can see that he's not a fan. And then in between, you have a range of people who either say climate change is real, but We don't agree with the science that it's man-made, therefore there's maybe nothing we can do. And you also have a number of people who, across the board on the Republican side, are just—they just they just don't like what President Obama is doing on climate change. They don't like his goals. They don't like the fact that he uses things called executive orders, which allow him to circumvent Congress and impose federal law on the states across the country. So there's a lot of opposition, and... The three leading candidates on the Republican side are them, Donald Trump, Ben Carson and Marco Rubio, the uh, Cuban-American senator from Florida, they are all at the end of the spectrum that says climate change is not a bigger deal as people think it is and we need to basically cool our heels. So if one of those becomes president, that's going to have a big impact. Even if Hillary
1: Clinton were to win the White House, it's not guaranteed that the sort of Obama approach of using regulations to get past Congress would actually survive, would it? I mean, it's legally contentious. There are, I think, legal actions still outstanding against it. Would she try and take on a more full frontal sort of uh, attack on emissions in America?
0: I suspect in the beginning that she will try and work with Congress to see what she can get done. Every president comes into office saying they're going to do that. And then at some point, reality hits and they realize they can't. And at that point, they have to decide whether they just accept defeat, or whether they try some of these other extra-parliamentary manoeuvres that annoy Congressman on Capitol Hill. So I think she'll start with one approach, and then, if need be, she may veer into the other. But the big difference will be that if a Republican like, for example, Ted Cruz or Donald Trump became president, it's highly likely that they would, on day one, just roll back and nullify the executive orders that President Obama has used to curb emissions And that would have a big impact, whereas if Hillary Clinton came in, it's highly unlikely that she would do that. She would leave those in place, and then whatever she did herself, she would pursue by her own methods. But it would have a big impact if it was a Republican or a Democrat in the White House.
2: Even before then, Dimitri, I think one thing that could be happening even before the election is the fate of the Paris Agreement, should it be agreed next month. There's obviously going to be a lot of pressure on the Republican side for anything that the Obama administration signs up to, for that to be approved by the Senate. And there's a huge amount of work going on inside the climate negotiations to make sure that the agreement is kind of Senate-proof, if you will, so that it doesn't contain the sorts of measures that could leave open an argument that it needs to be approved by Congress. So I think that's likely to be an incredibly interesting debate that will play out globally as well.
0: I agree. And the flip side of that is that Obama wants something where he will have the least resistance from the Senate or the path to getting approval. But if he gets an agreement that's structured that way, it also then makes it more easy for a Republican president to come in and change course. Whereas if, for example, it was a treaty that was ratified by the Senate, then it would be very difficult for a new president to do that. So I think there's two sides of this coin here, and this is what makes it very interesting.
1: Dimitri, big US companies are increasingly active on the, in this debate and are increasingly vocal about the need to do more to cut emissions. To what extent is that an influence on the Republicans' stance?
0: I think it's having some impact. You know, the companies that are signing up to the White House pledge and people like Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, big consumer companies, Nike... They point out that they believe in the science that says climate change is happening, that people need to do something about it. They say that their consumers are starting to talk about it more, and that that's one of the reasons that they're changing. They're not doing it because they're, you know, for some kind of philanthropic reason, they're doing it because of their bottom line. They say, and the White House says, that the more companies that sign up, you'll create a kind of a bandwagon, and then the others will be forced to join. There may be some truth to that, but on the other hand, there's a lot of big energy companies, fossil fuel producers like Chevronics and Mobile, etc., who have not joined this pledge, and there's very little sign that they will because what they're being asked to do would have a big impact on their bottom line. So there's still quite a big divide within corporate America, although the centre of gravity has certainly shifted towards supporting the argument that man-made activity is causing temperatures to rise, and that needs to be dealt with.
1: Palida, will uncertainty over... What the Americans do in the future, will that be used as an excuse by reluctant other world powers in these talks?
2: To some extent, yes, although the Paris deal is being crafted in a way that means that any pledges being put forward are pretty much voluntary, nationally determined in the jargon of the UN. And so every country, to some extent, faces the same sorts of uncertainty. You know, it's not as if countries are going to be signing up to Kyoto Protocol like targets. They're going to be saying, you know, this is our plan. We're hoping to do the best we can. It's unlikely that there's going to be severe compliance rules in the agreement or anything like that. So There will be huge pressure and there supposedly will be some legally binding procedures in the agreement to try to make sure that countries stick to the pledges that they're offering for it. But, you know, the US is by no means going to be the only country that faces this sort of uncertainty. And I think Dimitri's right that, you know, seeing these businesses sign up to this White House climate change pledge has been kind of interesting. I mean, there are a number of companies that are the sort of usual suspects with this sort of thing, like the IKEAs, Unilever, Apple. To some extent. What was interesting about the latest crop of companies was it included some that have not been as vocal or visible in the climate change debate lately, like GE, to some extent Sony, AT&T, Alcoa. So, you know, that does suggest that there's a, a slight broadening out of adherence to these sorts of things. But, you know, as Dimitri says, it would be another thing entirely if ExxonMobil and Chevron had joined up. And, of course, in the EU, we've seen a number of big oil and gas companies come out and say that they support the goals of the Paris Agreement, and they would like to see more work being done on things like a global carbon pricing framework, something I might add that was never envisaged for this agreement will um, almost certainly not happen in our lifetimes. But anyway, there's a very different approach being taken on both sides of the Atlantic when it comes to these oil and gas companies.
1: Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to Dimitri Sevastopolou and Polita Clark. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until